Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Well, this is our series for Christmas this year, Christmas at the end, Christmas at the end. And as I've thought about today, and I realized that it would be my last Sunday to preach to you as a lead pastor, don't worry, we're going to still be around, this will be home forever, and we're going to preach again, but the last Sunday I would preach to you as a, as a lead pastor, it was easy for me to go to the passage that has touched all of our hearts and has kind of become a, um, a theme for our church over the last 11 years, and that's Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 with the story of uh, the Good Samaritan because we as a church have taken on the identity of the inn that is found at the end of that story. So Christmas at the inn is kind of like an insider joke. Um, just decided that I would try to throw one of Philip's jokes in. So thank you. It's pretty great. Um, but I, I want us to kind of go through this story and we're going to go through it one more time together because I, I, it lays a pattern for our life. It, it lays a checklist for our life as we learn together how to follow Jesus, because that's what we've been doing. That's what we'll continue to do. And friends, that's what we will do until our very last day on this earth, is we will continue to learn how to follow Jesus. Uh, so before we get started, let's pray. God, I thank you for this moment this moment that we build into our week where we pause and we listen, where we pause and we listen and we learn and we lean in together. And so, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do in this room, that you would meet the needs of everyone. Father, I pray that um, they would not just hear the words that come out of my mouth, but they would hear the words that come from your heart because only those words can change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you can read along in Luke chapter 10, but I'm going to paraphrase the story very quickly. Um, there was a religious uh, expert, so an expert in religious law, um, which makes them a lawyer. And um, I'm a lawyer, so I feel uh, very identified with in this story, who came to Jesus, but he didn't come to Jesus for the purpose of being healed. He didn't come to Jesus really for the purpose of gaining wisdom. He came to Jesus for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to justify himself. And so he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus a question. He said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds to him and says, what do you think? And he says, well, um, you know, I, I need to uh, love God and I need to, you know, love my neighbor, right, as myself. And, and Jesus says, that's a good answer. <clears throat> the reason it was a good answer 
It's because Jesus had said that already. Um, so that was one of the reasons it was a, a good answer. Um, and, and so he said, that's good. Do that. You're going to live. Have a great day. Session over. But the man wasn't there to get wisdom from Jesus. He wasn't even there to get affirmation. He was there to justify himself. And so he turned to Jesus and said, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story in response. He says there was a man that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was set upon by robbers. And so these robbers beat him, robbed him, stripped him, and left him for dead on the side of the road. Suddenly there were a priest and a temple assistant that came. And he, he, he actually draws the story out because Jesus is a great storyteller. And he has each of these people come by separately. But I'm going to compact it for you. The end result is that neither of the people stopped and helped the man. One of them even went over and looked. And then went back to the other side of the road and kept going. And what you have to understand is that the priests and those who were the temple assistants were the heroes of the day. They were the ones who exclusively served God. And yet they didn't help the man who was in the ditch. And then Jesus does something unexpected. Because see, Jesus' time was a lot like our time. It was messed up. It was complicated. It was complex. The Jewish people lived in their own place, in Judea. They had their own uh, uh, country, sort of, because they were oppressed by the Romans. The Romans were taking over the whole world, and that included where Jesus' people, the Jewish people, were. But within that, that complex situation, there was another group called the Samaritans. And the Samaritans worshipped the same God as the Jews, but worshipped him wrong. He didn't, they didn't worship him at the temple. They worshipped him on a mountain. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. There was a lot that kind of went into all of that. There were some betrayals. There was some complicity. There were some all kinds of different things. But what you need to know is they were not friends. They didn't do business together. They weren't friends. They didn't get married. They didn't talk to each other. There were even prayers, Jewish prayers that said, thank God I'm not a Samaritan. They were the butt of every joke, the villain in every story. And so Jesus gets to this part, and he says, and then a despised Samaritan. And half the crowd that had been following Jesus for a while went, oh, no, he's not going to do it. And the other half of the crowd thought they knew what to expect. And Jesus says there was a despised Samaritan who passed by and looked at the man in the ditch and saw him with compassion. And he got off of his donkey and he took care of the man. Put him back on his own donkey and he carried him to an inn and took care of him there. And then he turned to the innkeeper and said, here's a little bit of money, but I want you to care for this man. And if his bill overruns this, 
when I come back, I will pay you all that is owed. And for the last decade, we have said that we, the church of Jesus Christ, and we, North Point, this small micro expression of the church of Jesus Christ, are the inn that stands at the crossroads of life, a place where Jesus can drop broken people and he can trust us to take care of them without charging them a thing. And what we know is that inns have to have innkeepers. And so together we have aspired to go on this journey of becoming innkeepers. The people who know that we're not working for anyone else, but we are serving everyone. For one reason and one reason alone, just because Jesus asked us to. And whether people stay for a long time or for a short time, whether they ever say thank you is irrelevant. Because we believe that when he comes back, when we see him again, that he will pay everything that is owed. So when Philip and I went through this series and, and, and we, we thought about like what we wanted to leave you with as lead pastors, it, it actually was pretty simple. Because these are the three things, the most important things that we could ever say. They're they're really the three things that we've been saying over and over again in different ways. And they're all found in this story. The first one is, let Jesus love you the way he wants to. And Philip did such an incredible job preaching this two weeks ago. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you, grab it on podcast, listen to it as you drive, because it really was an incredible um, investigation and deep dive into the way that Jesus wants to love you. But we see it in the story, right? He looks at your hot mess of a life. He looks at my hot mess of a life. He looks at the area of my life that is messy that nobody else sees. And instead of being enraged or upset or offended or repelled, he sees you with compassion and he continues to see you with compassion day after day. This changed my life because this is not what I believed until I was about 20 years old. And it took me about 10 years to work this belief into my life. I used to argue with Philip and say, no, God is mad at you because he's mad at me and I'm better than you. (laughs) See, that's what that kind of thinking will do is it'll make you into a person that judges others and tries to justify yourself. Because how else can you possibly gain favor in God's eyes? Because you know you. The only way is to stand next to somebody and go, well, at least I'm not like them. But I remember the moment where I just finally accepted that he loves me on my good days and my bad days. Someone asked me one day to close my eyes 
and to imagine just for a moment God's face looking at me. It's like, okay, well, I don't know what the face of God looks like, but I mean, you know, that's the problem with being hyper-intellectual. That's where you go to, you know. And um, I was like, okay, the face of God looking at me. And they asked me this question. They said, is he happy? I'd ask you the same. When God looks at you, what do you think his face looks like? Not his nose and his eyes and his mouth. I'm talking about his expression. Because I'll tell you what I believed for years and years is that he looked at me with disappointment. I couldn't believe that he really loved me. And I thought he was like, oh, yeah, her again. She just could be doing so much more. I gave her all that capacity. <laughs> Blows it. Maybe irritation, maybe frustration, friend. Let Jesus love you the way that he wants to. He looks at you with compassion, with compassion. He loves you. He cares for you. The second one was let Jesus lead you the way he wants to. And what I would say is this, is that let that love, when you let that love settle in you, it will create a desire in you to follow him. That's what happened in the Gospels over and over again. Jesus would love people right where they are. He would meet them right where they are, and they would drop everything and just follow him. And you're like, what are you doing? But it makes sense for those of us who have encountered his love because his love creates in us this deep desire to figure out how to follow him. And that's what it looks like to let Jesus lead you. It's not him tying a rope around your waist and dragging you through life. Only you and I get to decide whether or not we're going to let him lead us. No one else can decide for you. You have to voluntarily choose to let Jesus lead you. And he doesn't want to just lead you as a friend or a buddy. We have that kind of feeling, right? Just me and God. We're just hanging out together. He's king. He's more than savior. He is king. And do you know who his competition is for the throne of your life? It's not the devil. It's you. It's me. It's my own way. We all want our own way from the time we are born. I've got five kids. I don't have to teach them a few words. One of the words I don't really have to teach them is mine. I don't know where they pick it up, but they get it quick. 
because they want their own way. They like it how they like it. And the process of letting Jesus lead you is the constant process of dying to your own way. But I have a right. I know you do. You hold it. You have that right. And following Jesus is about willingly laying it down. Not because somebody else made you, but because you choose to lay down your right to that opinion, that way of responding, that way of living, that way of not doing, that preference. And I say, instead, in every situation, I'm looking for your priority. I want you to lead me. But the truth is, is that's often as far as we get. We're like, okay, Jesus Love me and lead me. And you're like, yeah, that's enough. I think I could handle that for the rest of my life, right? But there's more. There's more. See, Jesus doesn't just invite you to a journey of self-discovery and fulfillment that centers on you. You know, I, I, I can remember, like, growing up, there was such an emphasis, and some of you who are church people are going to get this. The rest of you, don't worry, we're coming back to the plot in just a second. But there was such an emphasis on, like, spiritual gifts tests and, like, this kind of test and that kind of test about, like, oh, well, do you have the gift of mercy and do you have the gift of giving? And I'm not belittling those things, but what I am saying is that they're not the point. Finding your perfect calling is not the point. Having a Christian practice that centers on you is not the point. My dad used to say this. He, he would say, um, you know which spiritual gift is the most important? You know which of the five-fold uh, gifts? Once again, those of you who are not church people, just stay with me. We're coming back, okay? It's going to be great. But this is for those who are for just a moment. Which one of those is most important? And this is what he would tell us. The one that is needed right now. See, he wants to allow his love and his leadership to translate and invite you into a lifelong mission. He didn't just give you eternal life. He invited you into a lifelong purpose that will consume every part of you. I remember a few years ago, we were talking to somebody and, and uh, they said, hey, I ran into somebody who used to go to your church. And I was like, okay. And they were like, they really didn't like it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be honest. You didn't have to tell me that. I mean, that's just, but they didn't know. And so they were like, yeah, they were like, they didn't like it. They said that, that they, they just felt like they couldn't just be good people. That you guys were like pushing them like to, to, to like have mission and stuff. And I was like, that's a real good reason not to like our church. I actually take it back. I thank you for sharing that. That feels like an encouragement, right? Sounds like a preacher's humble brag. But guys, I don't know another way to follow Jesus. I mean, Danny and Lindsay, like when you guys decided to live on mission, did you think it would do all the things that it's done in your life? Upend everything? No, but you decided to follow. I mean, Clarissa, 
Like, do do you just do 1,400 small groups? I mean, she runs our small groups for our church, and, and she has like four of them herself. I'm like, Clarissa, was the growth this year in small groups just from you taking on eight more? I mean, Pastor Craig, when you decided that you would fully build the kingdom and fully have a career in GM, was that? There isn't another way to follow Jesus. Not, not, not fully. I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not, please. I'm talking about what he wants to give you. A life of mission and purpose that invades every aspect of your life, from your parenting, to the way that you choose your spouse, to your career, to the way that you treat your ship driver, like all of those things. Mission. And what does that look like? Because we can get like all like messed up. Well, I don't really understand. It looks, it's so simple. It looks like letting Jesus use you to love and lead others the way he wants to. Not on your own terms and your own time, but the way that he wants to. Loving others. You, you know, I'm, if, the, if, if the Samaritan had just looked at the man in the ditch with compassion and walked away, that would not have been love. It would have been pity. And nobody needs that. Pity does not change the world. Feeling sad about what's going on in society is a natural human response. You know, congratulations, you're not a psychopath. (laughs) Love looks like taking action. Why can't solve all the problems of the world? That's the bureaucrat's response. Well, I can't do it for everybody, so we can't do it for anybody. That's not the way we live, and it's not the way we love. Instead, we choose to do for one what we wish we could do for everybody. We choose to love the one in front of us and take care of our neighbor the way that we wish we could take care of everybody in the whole world. We choose to take action, even if it's just a small one. It's that silly story about the starfish. Y'all remember that? You know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. You've heard this. This is one of the classic stories. Okay, so there's starfish all on the beach. And there's this guy who walks up to this little boy who's throwing starfish back in the ocean. And he says, what are you doing? You're not going to make a difference. Thousands of starfish are going to die. And the little boy picks up a starfish, throws it in the ocean, and says it made a difference for that one. It's a cheesy story. I get it. But you know what? It's true. And if we would all have that mentality for the starfish in our lives, then the world would be a place that would reflect more of God's grace and his love and his character than ever before. 
We have to learn to love and lead those around us. We have to choose to respond. So what's that look like? It looks like learning how to see differently, how to respond differently, and then how to live differently. See, what we see is our thoughts and our attitudes. When we see a problem, what what do we really see? There was a quote that came from... um, that came from John Bradford. It's attributed to like 1,400 people, but in the 1500s, it said that when he would see someone who was uh, going through something that was really difficult or who was living in brokenness, that he would look at them and he would say, there, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Is that how we see the brokenness of the world? When when people in our family are acting a fool at Christmas and we're like, what is wrong with them? When when people in society are, are doing things that we not only disagree with, but we feel incredibly threatened by, what is our response to the brokenness of the world? Is it outrage? Is it anger? Is it irritation? Is it frustration? Or is it compassion? Is it an understanding that we are the man in the ditch too? And just because somebody else's ditch looks different than ours does not mean that they are any less worthy of God's love. There are no non-soulish people. No, hear me. Every actress that you see on the screen, every person that you meet on the street, Every Uber driver, everybody who cuts you off in traffic, every single human on this planet, Jesus suffered and died for them and he values them. And he did not give me permission to judge them or mistreat them no matter what they have done. Somehow we remove the souls of people around us when we interact with them. We, we don't realize that they are eternal beings on their way to eternity, either with or without God. This will change your life. It'll change the way that you parent. It'll change the way you lead your business. It'll change the way you speak to people. It'll change everything. And that's the point. Because loving and leading others the way that Jesus asks you to will change you more than anything else. I want to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay, great. Start discipling people. That looks like loving and leading others. 
Well, I want to learn more about Jesus. Go and serve in kids' church because you will learn more about Jesus teaching kids' church than anywhere else. The three-year-olds is a perfect place to start because they're going to ask you questions you have no answers for. And you're going to have to dig in. You want to talk about what's hard. See, adults have already figured out how not to ask awkward questions. Second graders, they have no clue. You want to stop being selfish in your marriage? Start a small group. Because letting people in your house every week will mess you up. You want to change the way that that you see the world, start serving with our schools because it'll turn away from just being those kids and it'll become your kids. It's not enough to just give away stuff. See, leadership requires me to take actions that create movement in a direction for people around me. Most people are really comfortable with either loving or leading. And this is what's great, is that Philip and I are like those people. In our natural states, I just want to love you. I want to feed you. Gumbo, specifically. But I want to feed you. I want to care for you. I want to sit with you. I want to empathize with you. I want you to know you're not alone. And Philip wants to tell you what to do (laughs) that will make your life better. And then show you how to do that. Maybe walk with you halfway there. Okay, so that's, that's him. He's like the most loving thing you can do is to help people to not suck so badly. That was an actual quote. It's true. Guess what? We have to do both. All of us, every single one of us, every one of us. And leadership doesn't just look like, I was being funny, but, but being directional and walking around telling everybody what's wrong with them. What it looks like is inviting people along a journey that will change your life and their life. I'm so glad that the Samaritan didn't just like have compassion, clean up the guy in the ditch and then leave him there. You are totally bandaged now. It's going to be so great. And yet that's what we do when we love on people, but we don't even give them an invitation to a new direction. It's not you should. It's the questions we ask that start changing people's lives. It's the questions that people have asked me that have changed my life. Philip has told me forever, Destiny, you should be joyful every day. That's annoying, all right? It's just annoying. It's true, but it's also annoying. You should be joyful. Jesus died for you. When you wake up in the morning, you should just joy. You should just exude all the way down to your toes. But I remember when I was going through a very deep valley, and he looked at me, and he said, I get it. I get everything you're saying. It's all legitimate. But baby, what about the abundant life? Are you telling me 
that your circumstances exempt you from the promise of God that you can live an abundant life overflowing with all these things. I was able to reject all of his direction, but that question, it changed me. Are you willing to ask a couple questions and then be okay with there not being any response or result? Hey, have you thought about, hey, have you considered? Hey, can I just tell you my story? One of the greatest gifts we have, anytime somebody tells me their story, I look at them and I say, thank you so much for the gift of your story because it's the most valuable thing that we have to give to each other. And I'm not just saying it, I really believe it because your story is so, it's just, it's so powerful because when you can say, hey, listen, this is what happened to me. I just want you to know that. And you just leave somebody with your story. It's like this gift that just carries with them wherever they go. That's what it looks like to love and lead. That's what it looks like to choose the Jesus way. Real needs, real people. Loving and leading others requires us all to get super comfortable with being uncomfortable. You don't clock in and out of mission. No, I'm serious. You don't clock in and out of mission. And by the way, that is the real you. I've had people tell me, well, I just have to get real. And I'm like, no, this is the real you. Because you get to choose. You get to choose. Why would we ever allow there to be this other person that comes up every once in a while and say, that's the real me. This is the real me. The one that I choose. I'm going to let them come out and play the piano and I'm going to close up. It changes what we see. So we start seeing problems with compassion. It changes the way we respond. So it changes our actions. We, we choose to lean in. We choose to actually do something about what we see. We choose to do what we can do, not what we can't do. Right? We choose to, to do the thing we can do, even though there's more we wish we could do. But then eventually, it changes the way we live because it starts changing our path. Some of us are stuck in some messy patterns. You want to know the way out? Start letting Jesus use you to love and lead others. It's so simple, and yet it's not easy, right? It looks like modeling a life that we can bring others into. It looks like being and doing different at the same time. It looks like getting up and asking the question, who does Jesus want me to love and lead today? Listening to those Holy Spirit whispers 
that say, hey, you should check on so-and-so. You're like, well, I haven't thought about so-and-so in forever. And we just dismiss it. I cannot tell you how many times somebody has come to my mind and I've texted them and it's been right on time in a difficult moment. And I can't tell you how many times I've thought of someone and dismissed it and then found out it would have been. Happened this last week. I was in Springfield, a really good friend of mine. I love her, but she's like, she's like important. Do you know what I mean? Like she has like an important job. And I was like, oh, she came to my mind on Monday night. And, and I just felt this prompting, text her and see if she wants to come and have dinner with you. And I was like, I'm not going to bother her. She does not want to come to dinner with me. So I didn't. The next day, she announced that she had received a cancer diagnosis. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to me to love and lead somebody around me. Did I kick myself? Am I mad at me? No, but it was a good reminder. Just follow him. Just be that person. It doesn't matter if you see fireworks every time you do it. Just, just be that person that allows him to lead you to other people. Making margin to be generous in your life. Teaching, hosting a small group. How about being kind to your mother-in-law or your son-in-law or that in-law or outlaw in your family that drives you nuts because you're an innkeeper and not because they deserve it. It's so simple, and yet it's just not easy. But this is our mission. Being an innkeeper looks like creating Christ-centered culture, changing community. It looks like loving God well. It looks like all of those things, but it looks like a life on mission. Because it all comes back to this question. Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really believe in his story? If you haven't asked yourself that question in a while, you should. Because if you really believe in him, there's only one way to live. Letting him love you the way he wants to. Letting him lead you the way he wants to. And letting him use you to love and to lead others the way he wants you to. All over this place, could you stand up? And we're just going to pray together. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. 
amazing thing is that God wants to use us, is willing to use us. fills in the gaps that we inevitably leave in people's lives. I've had people tell me, I I can't do any of those things, you know, I'm afraid I'll screw it up. And I'm like, you will. You definitely will. You will screw it up. You will make mistakes. You won't get it perfect because it's about learning to follow him. This moment, if you say destiny, I just want to reaffirm that I want to be an innkeeper for life. I want to see the people around me as purchased by Jesus' blood. I don't want to suck the souls out of the people around me and treat them like they're something else. I want to remember that Jesus loves me. I want to submit to letting him lead me. And I want to spend the rest of my life letting him use me to love and lead others and not looking at them for affirmation or confirmation or for payment but always looking at him. If that's how you want to live, will you just raise your hand with me? And I just want to lead us in a prayer. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I want to be an innkeeper for life. Use me to love and lead those around me. Remind me that you love me more than I can imagine. Teach me how to let you lead me. I need you. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.